you now to your regularly scheduled program. Hey everybody, this is Josh Martin. And I'm Marty Hyde. Hey, how you doing? Welcome to the Tattoos and Jesus podcast. I am very happy to be here. Here at TNJ, we seek to blend the righteous with the ridiculous. Please explain. We discuss coffee, counseling, Christianity, and whatever else crosses our mind. We hope you enjoy it. Okay, let's go. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode. Uh, uh, it's not just another episode. We episode missed last week. of Tattoos and Jesus. We missed last I had some people ask. Do you have anybody ask? No, not at all. No? No, I'm just kidding. You got, I have more, had, you got group heads. I have had more encounters with people talking about the podcast. Okay. But none of them asked about last week specifically. I had some people ask me, Josh and I are both out of town, and let's just be frank, it was easier to just not record. It is true. It was uh, election day week. That's right. Go out and vote. <laughs> last week. Last week. A little late. A little Did late. Did you vote? Huh? I was at the beach. Oh. So we came back and it was like only thing I don't even know what was it's gonna sound bad, but I don't really know what was on the ballot. But I know penny tax was penny one, tax. I saw the commercial. Penny tax. But yeah. Other than that, I have no idea. Not a clue. Did the penny tax pass? I think it did. Yeah. I don't live in Spartanburg County, so it doesn't impact me. Yeah, it passed. Okay. One percent sales tax or something. Um listen, so I have some banter. I have some thoughts in my head. But I also feel like we just need to die. Like today is a is a, a unique day in the life of the podcast. It's a fiery this is, episode. This is a fire. This is this is fiery. So part of me is like, we're going to talk exhaustively. Mm-hmm. Do we just need to get to it? Let's get to it. Especially to, with an appointment in about forty five minutes. Right, so, uh, yes, this got, might so, be a two part. All right. Well, I need to say this. I need to get off my chest. I've been meaning to say on the podcast for a long time. One of my biggest pet peeves. I don't think I've ever told you this. It has nothing to do with you. Is when people <clears throat> give estimates in the wrong direction drives me nuts. It I do just that happened all the time. You do. It's an ADD thing, I think. All the time. When Sarah people calls say, me out all <clears throat> the time. When instead of being like in fifteen to twenty minutes, somebody will say, "Oh, in about twenty or fifteen minutes." I want to strangle people when they do that. It makes no sense to me. How long till you be here? I don't know. Thirty to fifteen minutes. How much money is going to take? I don't know. Three hundred or two hundred dollars. Are you insane? Take medicine, people. You can't estimate that way. I don't think I do. How long that. is it going to take you to get there? Fifteen to twenty minutes. Oh yeah, I I, I do how it much in is order. It, how much is it going to cost? A hundred to two hundred dollars. But I round up you, or down. You go in. Oh no, you go in ascending value, not descending. Yeah, I round up or down. Oh my goodness! Like it if it's two twenty-two. Yeah. Uh, and Sarah say, like, "What time is it? I'll say two thirty, and then she'll look. She'll say, "It's two twenty-two." Well, that's a Sarah issue. I, I round it up. I'll be honest. As a kid, that drove me nuts. Mom, I'd be like, Mom, what time is it? She'd be at like, 2.20. I said, is it really? Like, I want to know literally exactly what time it is. She's yeah. like, Marty, it doesn't matter. It's I do it with money, too, though, which bothers me. Like, oh, it's two which and a makes sense. I do that only when I spend too much. And it's like, I spent 2.25, and she's like, hey, Marty, how much was it? I don't know, a couple hundred bucks. <laughs> yeah, just generic. That's just called getting out of trouble. And then she looks at the bank statement. No, when people estimate in, like, what was that, descending value. So it's like, I'll be there in... 30 or 25 minutes. No, I've already at 30. Now I got to back up and reevaluate. Like, man, it just it burns you. It drives me. Grinds your gears. And for all of you guys who are like, I've never thought about that. Like, what, Marty, you're not. You wait. In the next day, you're going to hear people do this constantly, and you're instantly going to be annoyed because you're hearing me say so. this. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, Message me, let me know. Uh, it happens all the time. My son does it. Lots of people do it. You have a lot of ADD people in your life. I do. So many. But so many. It's okay, man. 
All right, listen. Today is probably the most spiritually vulnerable episode that we've ever had. Spiritually vulnerable. Theologically vulnerable. Let's call it theologically. Theologically vulnerable. I think right. That's probably right. Is that true? I because, mean, probably. Because we're going to talk about something that we have been talking about for no less than a year, privately. Over a year. Over a year privately. No, no, no. Two years. Two years. Because a year and a half Maybe ago, Maybe three years or two years. Maybe. I think it's <laughs> three or two. Three or um, two. No, because I was thinking, I read that book a year and a half ago at the beach. Yeah. While I was still here. And no, 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 no. A year ago. Sorry. A year ago. No, a year and a half. It was, a, it was during June. It doesn't matter. But but the three views of hell is a couple years was, old. Yeah, was bad. So, and we've we have alluded to. If you listen to T and J with a fine tooth comb, mm. you may say, "Oh yeah, you guys have hinted towards us a little bit." Like I've said before, "Oh, Josh is on a journey," and you've kind of mentioned that, or we've said we should talk about hell. Well, we're doing it now. We've decided we're putting ourselves out there. This is our vulnerability notice that we're going to put yourself out there to some thoughts that we've had and kind of a journey we're on. At risk of ostracization, mm, I preach amongst all of our conservative friends. I cannot wait to get nobody will probably reach out. So it's okay. <sighs> no, except when I get the notice, you've been terminated. Yeah, we stopped listening to your podcast. Yeah, so We're revoking our funding. But it's a great conversation. Rip the at, rip the scab off. Tell every, us what we're talking about. <laughs> Every person, I actually just recently had this conversation, and we're talking about hell. Hell, yes, the we three are. views <laughs> of hell. The three views that most people may not even realize that there are different yes. views of hell. And we encountered this one, years ago, two or one years ago, two or one years ago. Um, so what I'm going to do is, is first and foremost give a shout out. So Preston Sprinkle, Theology in the Raw, we have mentioned his podcast many times. Right, and so he's a really enjoyable listen, and personally, and I think Josh would agree, he does an amazing job of holding a high view of Scripture and wanting Scripture to speak truth into us, and at the same time, not just towing traditional lines, having a really open mind, and trying to have lots and lots of grace in his life Mm -hmm. without compromising on truth. Yes. He does a really good job. I think he does a really beautiful job breaking down Scripture, seeking to understand Scripture, the whole deal. He did a podcast, and I'll tell you when it was. It was like November 11th, no, November 30th of 2020. It's called Three Views of Hell. I'm going to post it in our link. Yeah. Of all the studying we've done over the last two years, that podcast, and we'll include a couple links that yeah. have that we think do a really good job of laying out what we're going to talk about today. His His podcast, and then the other ones we've included, we think do a really good job of laying out this way better than we could. Yeah. And so if our conversation stimulates you, makes you think, or makes you wonder if we're going to hell, then go listen to it. Yeah. And then, you know, develop your own beliefs. Yeah. And there's going to be some initial... You're, everyone listening is about to be uncomfortable. Unconscious, uncomfortable. like rejection, unconscious. Yes. We just ask that you have an open mind and actually vent through because i think what was set this up perfectly and this is what i told matt or told the uh, matt well nobody knows matt don't know uh well you do um anyway the confirmation bias mm-hmm. podcast we did a month ago mm-hmm. i think is absolutely spot on for prep to listen to this episode mm-hmm. because we all walk into it with a confirmation yes. bias because 
if prior to a couple of years ago, for you to sit down with anyone who attends church and said, what are your views on hell? What's your theology on hell? First and foremost, most people do not do a deep dive into hell. However, so there's two things that I think are true. One, most people have not, if they've researched theology at all, have probably not spent a lot of time on hell, right? And number two, at the same time, have a very, very firm theological grasp on their view of hell, even though they haven't studied it. Yeah. There's a deep, because that's, most people, most people Mm -hmm. that you encounter that you say have three views of hell, kind of shell-shocked a little bit, including yes. us when we, yes. you know, when we, we initially stumbled it. upon it. Yeah. But it makes sense. Once you dive into That's it, right. it makes sense. So if, if I ask you the question, hey, what is the traditional view of hell in um, Christian America? You would say eternal conscious torment, ECT. ECT. Right? Eternal punishment. One letter off here. You better watch out. <laughs> ECS, ECT. So... Um, ECT is also the acronym for shock therapy these days. Oh, it's true, true. So, so if you type yeah. it in, you might not get exactly yes. what you're looking for. But eternal conscious tournament is the traditional view. And everybody already knows. Everyone believes to be true. Everyone has probably been told is the correct view of hell. Right. For good reason. Yeah. There's biblical support. There's, you know, people aren't just making this All up. three have biblical support right. to some and degree. So yes. We're not going to spend a lot of time talking about ECT. Because that is the dominant view. Right. Eternal conscious turmoil. It's very easy. Is God wants us to come to faith in a surrendered relationship that we call salvation as Christians in this life, in the life that you live now. And if you reject that, if you choose not to enter a relationship with Jesus, right? We're not even going to get the theological ramifications of can you accept it? Does he choose you? Set that aside. If you do not enter into a salvation, a salvific relationship with Christ in your life, when you die, your name is not written in the book of life, and he will say, I do not know you, Mm -hmm. and you will be cast into hell, which is depicted as uh, crying, gnashing of teeth, the absence of God, referred to as the lake of fire, a lot of metaphors there. Um, And you will spend eternity... In conscious torment, yeah. suffering, um, forever and ever, eternity's over. Right. That is the dominant right. Western Christian Most people view. will know hell as that. That's correct. Right. However, what we want to talk about today are the two lesser known mm-hmm. Christian, mm-hmm. let me emphasize that, Christian views of hell mm-hmm. that were popular in the past and are pos- more popular in Eastern Christian traditions, and even in European Western Christianity, are more welcoming to these alternative views than even American Western Christian views. Because a lot of people, when they think about views, it's only America. That's right. Which is a good point to point out. We see it. So why don't you give a, a short, what are these other two views that we've hyped up so much? So in the same way, the annihilationist view is um, you cease to exist. Everything Marty said, your name's not written in the book of life. You don't have a relationship with Jesus except for instead of you burning or tormenting or being absent from God forever presently, you're just annihilated. Like there, you don't exist. So then eternal Gone. life is only for because, you know, technically everybody lives forever in the first view. Just one's with God, one's absent yes. God. But this view says the people who are outside of that salvation are annihilated off the earth, dust, 
smoke. Well, however you want to describe so it. This is how I break it down is in the first view, eternal conscious torment, you have eternal life. And if you don't choose Christ, it turns into eternal punishment. Yeah. The second view is you don't choose Christ. You have eternal, pu- you have punishment. You still have judgment, mm-hmm. but the eternal punishment is just eternally gone. Like you're just, you're just gone. Yeah. The, you encounter punishment, you're gone, never to come back again. Gotcha. There's no consciousness. Your sentience no. is gone. You're done. Much like you would hear from like an atheist. It's like, I just think we disappear. Right. You know, it's kind of that idea of just your personhood, your consciousness, everything is gone. And then there's what's called universal, Christian universalism. Is that the right phrase? Or ultimate reconciliation. Ultimate reconciliation. Yeah. Which would be, you tell me you're more studied in this than I am, is ultimately it's still the same pattern that God wants for you to enter into a relationship here and now in this world. And if you do, you just like the rest, you bypass punishment and go to heaven. But if you don't, ultimate reconciliation differs in that you still die, you're still a judgment, and there is still a punishment. You're held accountable for that. However, at some point after that, there is still redemption for you. Yeah. So the two schools of thought is the punishment or the judgment that you receive doesn't hold you back from having eternal life with with God. Yes. But that can be now or that can be later. So yeah. those are the two schools by entering into that. in universal Christian universalism by entering into a relationship with Christ now you get to bypass the punishment portion whatever that is. Yeah. Could we don't, be, we yeah, don't know what that looks now. like. Yeah, it could be some people believe in a purgatory purification mm-hmm. that gets you into heaven. Some people believe that your choices here and now, like God gives us these choices, and there's judgment and punishment within those choices because mm-hmm. they reap things that you sow. Mm-hmm. And so there's not necessarily a purgatory or purification. It's just judgment now because it's saying, like, you reap what you sow. So mm-hmm. things that you do that are evil, you're going to receive evil back. Mm-hmm. So those are the two. But ultimately, everybody in the world ends up in heaven with yeah. God. I, I even I heard it on a podcast just this week where it said the the person who believes in uh, Christian universalism said, I even believe that ultimately Hitler will be redeemed. Right. Like everyone will be redeemed because God's grace extends beyond the grave. So. But not at the absence of there is some type of accountability. Yeah. You're not, you're not bypassing. It's not like you get to bypass. Yeah judgment right like you encounter judgment that other people that that christians don't yeah. because you fail to and, and and you still have to face that and then there's some you're held accountable in some way right there's different views on what that may look like right but you're held accountable but ultimately the grace redeems you after that yeah. period and origin Oregon, origin yeah the church father who was mm-hmm. who's most people know is the closest to, I guess, the time of the scriptures, mm-hmm. Greek wise. He was a little bit of a weirdo. He had some weird views. Yeah, he had some. He had some. Yes, there's some criticism views. against him. Yeah, but he's but still he, a, a father that was well respected amongst church history. He, he even believed that the devil himself would be the devil himself would be redeemed, mm. and so that was a that was a view that he that he held within that. But he also 
like you mentioned earlier, he played a big role in the Trinity. Yeah. So can't necessarily knock him. So those are kind of, in short, the three traditional Christian views. Right. So one thing I want to clarify, because some people are probably thinking here, the universalist approach, the Christian universalism is, oh, everyone goes to heaven. That's pluralism. And there's it's, it's yes and no. Pluralism is the belief that all roads lead to, to Jesus. All roads lead to God. Yeah. Right? Buddhism is no different than Hinduism, is no right. different than Christianity, is no different. And to speak to someone who believes in universalism, to Christian universalism, they would say, that is not true. They're saying, no, 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 this is Christian universalism in that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Through him is salvation and eternity. But if you don't choose it in this life, after encountering the judgment, you have the opportunity to choose it in the right. After the grave, basically. Right. But it does not say all roads lead to heaven. It does not say that, you know, it's it's not that. Yeah. And so one thing, and listening, I think it's Preston that says this. He says, one thing I want to encourage you to do when I see what's talking about this is he said, have an open mind. He said, not because I want you to believe all these to be true. You have to, you know, see where the evidence leads you. He said, but have an open mind because... Um, he said, naturally, whenever somebody presents a view that's different than the one that we believe to be true, we immediately believe the best of ours and assume the worst of theirs. That's a good point. And I thought that was a, a strong a challenge. Yeah. And and I think this topic of hell brings that tendency. Yeah. Of if it's if I'm if I'm not supporting eternal conscious torment, then you immediately start to question the person, the theology the understanding of the Bible or approach to the Bible mm-hmm. and um, and then assume the worst of the other views when the reality is go listen to the link below that presents them all three have biblical backing yeah you can love God love scripture yeah be a student of scripture deeply devoted to understanding scripture and come to all three conclusions that said my belief is the body of evidence speaks more to one yeah. than the others and that you have to do some more creative juggling with verses mm-hmm. with some of the views than the others, but they can all be biblically explained on some level. Um, so, um, so one just dis- one more disclaimer and then we'll hop into it. Cause I completely agree. People who, cause I didn't understand, I, I didn't understand this at first when I first started. I guess in this journey, but there's different ways to look at scripture, mm-hmm. which will inform your opinion. So like if people are saying, how do you get here? When I look at scripture, you can have a fundamentalist view, literal view. Everything that the Bible says is literally true. If it says this, it means this. You can have, the only way I've been able to describe it is like a Anglican Episcopalian Methodist view, which is like they take scripture, but they don't, solely say this is literally what it says they use other aspects reason tradition experience to help understand what the scripture is saying Mm -hmm. which is why you can get some things that they believe that they get in trouble for a lot of times or Mm -hmm. that you feel like is more on par with how do you look at scripture whichever whichever side you land on that's how they get there they don't say i literally believe that the bible is literally saying this which is how we can kind of determine that slavery is not okay even though paul was kind of yeah. So we go ahead and crush that. But same concept. Or women pastors. Same concept. Anyway. But. Because um, I think that 
Personally, I think that's so going to be I the think difference. Right here, I think, is the, the first point. Because if you're sitting here saying, well, I think Scripture very clearly points to the eternal suffering perspective. That's where I think we have to first and foremost address that, even though I said we weren't really going to talk about it. Yeah. Because you're right. When, when we put up a lot of the Scriptures that are used, there's three main Scriptures, like the big dogs, but there's a, a plethora of kind of metaphors and stuff in Scripture that we say, hey, listen, this actually points to it but we have to realize you're filtering that scripture through your personal lens your bias yeah and a lot of people are like no i'm not no i'm not because it's not conscious it's not intentional yeah. but if i believe that and if i've been told to believe the eternal conscious torment is the dominant view it is the correct view then i read that into that scripture without realizing it yeah and i don't realize how I've just added a layer of interpretation of Scripture that may or may not supposed to be there. Right. And so what I have found is, I'm going to put myself out there first, is when I looked at the body of Scripture, when I looked at everything that was presented, I realized that I was putting in eternal conscious torment far too often. Mm. Um, There is one Scripture in Matthew 25, I think it is, that says... You know, there is eternal life or eternal punishment, right? And so I would say that is the biggest sticking point. That is the most challenging scripture for people mm. because it's the one that does seem like there is a, com- a compare and contrast of there's an eternal one thing or an eternal other thing, yeah. right? So we just have to acknowledge like that that is it. But as I've heard several theologians say, listen, scripture doesn't always flow c- consistently. Mm-hmm. So what you have to do is look at the full body of what's mm-hmm. presented and say, if the consensus seems to say something, we must say, well, then I am inclined to say that that is what is true and that I need to figure out maybe these outlier passages. And so the hard thing for me to admit that I don't like to admit is after looking at it, I was like, that's an outlier passage for me. Mm -hmm. The body of evidence I don't actually think supports ECT as much as I thought it would. Yeah. Once I recognized that I was projecting that, and that's where I'm like, well, then where did that projection come from? Where did all of these well-studied ministers of the gospel, deeply studied, where did their views come from? And we were talking about this earlier, and you actually, if you go back and study history, against, I'm not a historian, so you might can poke holes in this, but I've heard a consistent theme a- across all Biblical scholars, biblical scholars who do not agree on their view of hell, they agree on this one point, that there was a turning point in our theology of hell with Plato and with Dante's Inferno. Dante's Inferno, which you may or may not be familiar with, go Google it. I don't think it's a very long read. Mm -hmm. Have you read it? I have not, but I've read like about it. So it was, who wrote Dante's Inferno? God. I'm just kidding. Um. Anyway, go look at it. It's a, it's a historical work of literature that depicts hell kind of in the way yeah. that we now read hell in Scripture. Yeah. It was the nine levels. Nine levels. So, um, and so what I have consistently found is that the eternal conscious torment, even though that belief. Dante. Dante wrote it. Yeah. Well, how appropriate. The book's called Inferno. Okay, and it's I thought it was called uh, anyway. So yeah. that was a turning point in church history. Not that the eternal conscious term that wasn't necessarily a new concept, but it took on new life. Yeah, 
right? Kind of like it added fuel to the fire. <laughs> kind of wow. Kind of yes. like the rapture. Kind of like the rapture the, theology. Like honestly, took series. a turn with Kurt Cameron yeah. and his end times theology. Not that he created it, but he amplified it in America. So, like, the, out of the bag, the first thing that I've been challenged with is, I'm not saying eternal constant torment is wrong. It, when we die, it very well may be what happens. But after studying this for on and off for a year and a half, two years with you, mm. I'm not sold. Yeah, same. I mean. But what's funny is you and I don't agree. No, we don't. We, we actually take the different of the two minor. Yes, we, we both we both land on two. We 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 both dove into it. Yeah, decided. Oh my goodness, there's a lot more here than we've ever given credit for. To the theology of hell is not as clear as we thought it would be, and we both went in different directions. We both went different directions. Neither one of us landed on eternal. The most popular view that people know. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't really know. I give it twenty percent right now. Yeah, I mean it's. If I that give much, it maybe ten. I give it two, two percent, maybe one. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm fully off of ECT. Like I'm fully off of ECT. Um, we'll just, you know, we'll just dive into it. I, I'm, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not even. I don't even know if one percent's good enough. But and annihilationism, I'm kind of like twenty, twenty, maybe. Not even. Probably not even. Probably fifteen. Like I'm fully. I'm pretty much fully on board with ultimate reconciliation or Christian universalism. But I could not tell you out of the two schools of thought within that where I would land. I think so, either one can be. So let me ask you this. What was it that, so to make it clear, you, you're, as you sit here today through the research of the last year and a half, two years, of which I'll be honest with you, you've done more research than I have. Um, do you, you would say your view as of today is that of ultimate reconciliation? And so is what I said generally true earlier of my de- your definition of that in that you believe Jesus is the way the truth of the life and that he ch- he would like he he wants a relationship with us here and now and yet if we choose not to there is a judgment and some type of a penance there is some type of a judgment and consequence for that post death but God's grace somehow extends beyond that to which we don't fully know right and will ultimately all people all live and breathing image bearers of God, which are not a select few, but in whole, all people mm. will be reconciled to Christ, whether it be through salvation on this side of the grave or through whatever happens post-judgment on the other side of the grave. Correct. Is that a... Yeah, correct. All right, so now that we're on the same page, at least understanding what you believe, can you tell us how you got there? Like, what was the process? What was the passages? What was the perspective? Like, help us understand your perspective. So, I'll just walk you through the process of what how it happened to me. I know that I've gotten like 50,000 text messages here and there. So, surely you have an outline, a frame of reference right. you could go through. So I know you wouldn't show up unprepared for a conversation like this. Never. Not me. Um, so, I read the book. All that shall be saved. All shall be that saved. At, that all shall be. All shall be saved. David, David, Bentley, David Hart. Bentley Hart. Yeah. Yeah. I read the book as well. Yeah. So read that. Yeah. And I it got. It. It I hated my, it. <laughs> it sparked my interest. Yeah. It sparked my interest. It sparked my interest enough because there was, and this is where I'll start. There was one chapter. 
it was nothing but scripture. Mm-hmm. The entire, I mean, the chapter was like 12, 13, 14 pages of different passages and verses that supports ultimate reconciliation. Okay. Um, and I'm not going to read off all of them, but there is a website that we could post in the link if you okay. want to. Okay. And yeah, I mean, we said we would post some resources. Yeah. So, I mean, just the, are curious. the first three is like, the Father has sent the world, or the Father has sent the Son to be Savior of the world. Christ is the Savior of the world. Um, who will all have men, who will have all men to be saved? Okay. And that is the, that's kind of where the book came from, that all men shall be saved, all people, all the mm-hmm. world, whatever. Mm-hmm. There's 75 of those. Just on this one side. Just 75 verses and passages. That at face value seem to point towards all means all. All means all. World means world. All means all. Um, and so, like I said, I'm not going to go through all that. But the main one is that all shall be. God desires all shall be saved. He is all powerful. Okay. So kind of what we mentioned earlier, which are three points. So this is what Im- immediately caught your attention. Wait a minute. If there's 75 of these passages. Yeah. Let me dive a little deeper. Right. And so... Um, and so that's where I started. I started in the Bible. I started reading scripture. I started seeing what the, what was out there because once he went through all that, it was very similar to um, what you just mentioned it not too long ago, the Unity book that Chandler or that Ch- uh, Francis Chan yeah, did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he went through like tons of scripture and Unity and things like that. And um, and so you know, I, I went through. I read all the scripture, and the one thing that sticks out is. You know, I mentioned I mentioned before where I'm trying to you're trying to get into the culture. You're trying to read it as if you were living there because it's wrote mm-hmm. uh, or is written for the people there. And so you're trying to be first century Jew. Yeah, you're mindset. having a biblical daydream, right? And this All of a sudden is you have a this is what I, I've just got done carving up my table and I'm about to sell <laughs> it at the market. You're walking around in a camel haired robe, right? Walking around with my my hey dudes on. But, uh, and so uh, I'm trying to get in that mindset and Jewish scriptures don't have verses and chapters. Right. And so the reason for that is because they want to communicate a message and a theme more than they want you to really dissect verses. And that was a Preston Sprinkle podcast where a guy came on and said, verses is the worst thing that happened to the Bible. Now that might be a little extreme, but uh, because it breaks up what the message is. And so one thing that he it, said... It uh, highlighted things that we've created as individual truths that were actually just part of a right. collective message. Right, and that's exactly what he said. He said, a verse shouldn't contradict the theme. Mm-hmm. A verse shouldn't contradict the message of the whole. Of and that book or of the Bible? Of whatever is communicated. Of whatever the yeah. whole is. Yeah, whatever the whole is at the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, you know. I mean, and we do that. We're like, okay, well, let's see... What the scripture around? Or where? What are they talking right. about? And so context that is mindset. key. That theory, yeah. yeah. And so that's the kind of approach I took. I was like, where does this these verses hold in the whole theme of the Bible and the gospel and the message and all this? And so, um, you know, it it didn't seem. And so we mentioned before on the podcast on another one, but that redemption always is the final aspect of God. Mm-hmm. No matter what happens, redemption comes. At some point, in different stories throughout the Bible, redemption is what God wants at the final life, the final chapter, the final book, whatever it is, redemption should be present. And so 
thinking through that and then reading and diving more into, okay, well, if this is true, what contradicts it? What, what, and so then I just dove head first into hail, which is why we did the podcast. But, um, what is hail? What is, what, what do you where mean, what come? contradicts it? What contradicts David Bentley Hart? Ultimate reconciliation. Ultimate, so yeah. you immediately said, okay, I see where this says. What is the, what's the against? What, what's, what's the theme? The, okay. And like, what, what contradicts ultimate reconciliation <laughs> and which theme is more present? Which, message is more present throughout scripture looking at the views of hell right what is the overarching what theme, is the overarching both theme? in b- passages books and scripture as its whole right okay that, that that blends in with the overall message of of god and so then i dove so i dove i dove into hell i dove straight into hell <laughs> um and you came out the other side <laughs> and here i am here i am i made it uh no and so uh, it started on a on a path of just listening to a ton of different people write descriptions of hell, and so I actually wrote some notes down here for you since I could stay Ooh, on tr- on track. Look at you! Um, you should have sent these to me so I can bullet point you. That is true. I should have. Uh, but hell's mentioned thirteen times. Okay, nine are from Christ, two is from James, and then two is randomly in Revelation somewhere. Okay. Um. All nine times that Jesus uses it is it's either Gehenna or the Valley of Hinnom. And so what that means to us is different than what it meant to them. And most everybody agrees with that. Yes. So I actually have a quote. Go ahead. You have a quote. No, I was just going to say that's true because in my researching, looking at both, we call it more liberal, progressive theologians, conservative, moderates across the board, they all talk about hell being um like the the Gehenna the Gehenna Valley of Hinnom like they all talk about that being misunderstood or a key to this understanding I guess right yeah yeah they and it's a literal place for yes. anybody that, it's a literal valley like that we is could go there today Jerusalem yes probably don't want there. to it's beautiful they it's it's completely beautiful it's like flowers so it's and not stuff. what it used to be no it used to be so it used to be a garbage dump that the city would use to burn bodies that were most likely criminals, lame, sick, poor, people who didn't have caves, didn't have money for caves. Yeah. Um, and then so trash. It was your crematory. Right, and trash. And it's trash. All, all in one. Uh, but there was a um, there was an idol. Hamek? Hamek? Some, 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 I, I, oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Yeah, um... It'll come to us. Something like that. But okay. what the idol was, was they would actually go and sacrifice their children at the altar. Malek. Malek. At the altar of Malek, which was the valley of him, Gehenna Hell. So not only was it a trash dump, it's where cremation of unclaimed, poor, impoverished bodies, and it was this, it was idol worship through the sacrifice of children. Right. And so... It seems like an encouraging place. Seems like hell. Um... And so, you know, so I'll read this off, and I'm, I read it off on purpose from N.T. Wright, because N.T. Okay. Wright is not ultimate reconciliation, no. which I think you... But... No, just to be clear, uh, Wright is a eternal conscious torment guy. Yeah. ECT, that's his... That's his anyway. stance. Okay. Go so ahead. this is what he says. He says, when Jesus was warning his hearers about Gehenna, a.k.a. hell, he was not, as a general rule, 
telling them that unless they repented in this life, they would burn in the next one. As with God's kingdom, so with its opposite. It is on earth that things matter, not somewhere else. His message to his contemporaries was stark and, as we would say today, political. Unless they turn back from their hopeless and rebellious dreams of establishing God's kingdom in their own terms, not least they uh, threw armed revolt against Rome, then the Rome juggernaut would do what large, greedy, and ruthless empires have always done to smaller countries and come take their resources um, and burn them to a rubbish heap, which is what happened. Um, and then, so when Jesus says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. That is primarily the meaning he had in his mind. And so, all right, say that in like a two cent statements. What did, when God said, repent or perish? Yes. Referring to the Valley of Hinnom, Hinnom. what was he communicating? He was communicating the, because there's a literal and a spiritual meaning. And so the literal meaning is if you don't repent from what is going on, because a lot of people were doing the idol worship, they were doing mm-hmm. all this, they were, then Rome's going to come in here. And you will have a physical destruction. There will yeah, be the destruction of Jerusalem, just like we see in the Old Testament. Exactly, Daniel. They're going to send in the Canaanites, the yep. Gideonites, the whoever-ites. Yeah. Okay. and so it was Termites. a prophecy to them yep. to, that if they did not repent, that Rome was going to come. It was destroy a physical Jerusalem. threat, right? And it's exactly what happened. It's a prophecy that came true. Rome came in. Destroy Jerusalem, burn it on fire, you know, all that good stuff. Yeah. Not good. But um and, and that so, is universally that is universally accepted by most theologians as what Wright is saying. Right. Wright. Because Wright's <clears throat> not ultimate reconciliation. Right, right. But he understands he gets it. The physical uh or the literal, I guess, as- aspect of what Christ is saying to the people then and there. Gotcha. Um and so I was like, Okay. All right, so where does that where does that leave me? So you do a little bit more dig. What's the spiritual implications? Is it a double meaning yeah. in that there's a literal sense? So that was my question. You sense. said Jesus references this nine times. The example, I guess in some of the examples, he was kind of giving a prophetic physical, like this is what's going to happen literally to you. And I guess that was the thought I had is how many of these also have a double meaning, such as kind of has that spiritual side too that the people maybe didn't realize. Yeah. So also by N.T. Wright. Okay. People who are sent to the Valley of Hinnom, usually because of crime, leprosy, lose their friends and family and face a life filled with horror, decay, and destruction. Okay. The weeping and gnashing of teeth come from the literal aspect, not the spiritual aspect. Okay. Weeping because people would cry because their loved ones were just thrown in there and burned alive. And gnashing due to the animals that would fight over the trash. And so these were little, literal things that were happening then. So would the the hearers of this at that time immediately know yeah. he's referencing these things? Right. Weeping and gnashing. Obviously, he's talking about Valley of Hinnom. Gotcha. So <laughs> there was a literal sense to it. And so the spiritual sense to it is where people will argue, all right, what is the spiritual sense? And, and so, that's the tug of war. How much of it is literal? How much of it is spiritual? Because you could technically say... Jesus never really meant for it to be spiritual, but he did. I mean, you know, most of the things he taught was, was right. things. But a lot of what he's taught, which is what it's, I'll end it's with. It's how is much of Because everyone now. agrees that it's literal. Yeah. Everyone agrees. No, no, no. This, I mean, because it's factual. Like, it was a real place, and these were the real. Right. Like, the question is, how much of it was also a, kind of like in John, John talks about a window into. Right. A portal, a, a portal looking into the after. 
Right. How much of it had had a little bit more to the to the meaning than what okay. was literally happening? And so that was the next thing you had to figure out mm-hmm. was okay. So where What's do we draw the spiritual, spiritual line here? Nobody can say Jesus is literally talking about any of the three views. And so that is, which is why you have three views. You know, right, like right. I mean, the, the literal warnings and prophecy is 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 unanimously agreed upon. But the spiritual implications of that is argued. And so, um, and so that's what I dove into. And so once I learned that 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 makes more sense. Like when you read it, like in, it makes more sense because in Matthew twenty five, which is the biggest passage that's argued against ultimate reconciliation, mm-hmm. it ends with. For those on the right, go into eternal life. For those on the left, go into eternal punishment. Mm-hmm. But everything above that was talking about what you need to do here and now. Feed the poor. Go and so see it goes the back sick. to that context. It is goes king. back to that context. So the context of that passage is literal application to here and now. The political aspect to that, okay. yes, in a way, <clears throat> political, um, because they were getting they weren't being treated right. And I'll get into like the kingdom of God, which is what tied it in for me. But um, and so you have this eternal. And so I got there, and, I, and most people would be like, "Oh, done, eternal." Eternal punishment, eternal life. Whatever punishment mm-hmm. is, whether it means fire or annihilation. Yeah, you throw that verse up on a screen, and you're like, the meaning seems pretty clear. Right. And so so then I, you know, you go into it. And this is, this is where people will stop listening as well. Because what people don't understand in a way is Greek does not translate to English perfectly. Mm-hmm. Most scholars will tell you that, Christian, non-Christian. It's not, there's no perfect translation. Mm-hmm. And so most, not all, but most agree that the word that the word eternal is not forever and it's not eternity. In the Greek. In the Greek. And so we translate like it, it to in eternal. English, eternal means eternal. Right. But that was the closest word that they had to use then. Okay. So and in so the Greek, what lifetime, a long time, life cycle. Those are the three because the word that it used. All, it meant all three of those. So for a lifetime. But all of them have bookends. All of them have some sort of like. In, none of in, them mean forever and ever. Amen. None of them being forever and ever. They said the closest thing to forever and ever would be if like in the Psalms it says for ages and ages and ages or something like that. Okay. Uh, but the word they used had an end to it, which would probably support both of our views. But um, and so then I was like, okay, and 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 I didn't do a one sided like I I did ev- the whole mm-hmm. like what does these people what do these people what do these people say? Most of them agree on that. Most of them, some don't, just because they think, oh well, it's sometimes it meant you know whatever. But most agree. So I took the majority in the okay. situation, conservative or not, conservative like, or not, across majority. the board. Yeah, holistically, regardless of your stance, they they agreed that. Eternal in the Greek doesn't mean eternal like we assume it in English. Right. Okay. Um, and so it, so you see where it's like it's starting to pull me in. And so the, the other aspect to, to this was um, Gehenna, the spiritual ampl- implication. I think I sent you this one time. But the spiritual implication of Gehenna for the Jewish tradition then was that it was a cleansing. It was, mm-hmm. a, it was like a... A purgatory cleanse, a of purification, the soul. right? Uh, which is those two school of thoughts, where it's like it's either here because the valley was used there. for that, right? They throw that's why they threw bodies in there that were not, they were lame, they were sick, they were poor, they were criminal. Like they threw them in there to cleanse them, I mean, kill them, but cleanse them, or if they're already dead, 
so that at least their soul. Is this like the Salem witch trials? If she sinks, then she was innocent, but she's cleansed or whatever it was. If she floats, she's guilty and we kill her. Yeah, that's what it seemed like. Oh, my. Um, but it goes back to your point that I'm that you we've made before. Um, the thought of Plato. Plato is kind of the one that kind of introduced the soul aspect. And so the Jewish fully believed in the soul aspect. So what this process was was a cleansing of the soul. So they were focused on the soul when they burned the body. And so they, they put the physical and the spiritual implications both in one place. We're going to throw them here because that's where they go in hopes that this is a cleansing purgatory Because their body's ritual. jacked up. Right. Or that they messed up or that they're morally not they're flawed right. or yeah. something's wrong. Um, and then the rest of the people are buried in caves. And so what you were saying earlier is, connect the dots for me, that the valley was viewed as a valley of purification. And is that all you were saying is that is that he's referencing that and it does have this purification idea behind it. That is, yeah. And in the idea of eternal being a life cycle or a span of time, not eternal. And so it's a period of time of purification. Right. That is the quote unquote punishment. But there's two, there's two, I think both, personally, I think both of them are going to have, I don't think it matters either way, but um, within ultimate reconciliation, some people believe that the spiritual implication was Jesus, Jesus telling them that you sow what you reap. You are what you, you are what your decisions are telling yeah. you that you are. So if you go and you do some of these things and you do not repent, you are most likely going to be cast into this valley because this is this valley represents people who did not do well in life, mm-hmm. did not adhere to the law, did not ended up being sick, ended up being poor, ended up being. And so he's saying your decision, get your crap together right now, right? Or it's going to be like this. Your lifetime of punishment is going to be here, and and so there's a connection throughout that. Or you can have life, and so. Most people would agree, even in counseling, where when you have purpose, you feel like you're living life. Like mm-hmm. I had, a, I, I literally had a kid today in session that was like, I feel dead inside. He's like, I feel like I'm, I'm just lifeless. And it kind of clicked to, to now. It's like, it's a good point because mm-hmm. life can mean now. It doesn't necessarily have to mean, oh, you live past this life. Mm-hmm. It can mean that you actually are living, quote unquote, life. And then Jesus goes through and gives you the way that this is the most fulfilling. And so you have that you have that aspect, which I think both could be true. I mean, you are. I mean, that one's obviously true, regardless of who you are. You, your consequences are going to come at some point. If you keep making bad decisions, you're not going to feel great, mm-hmm. whether that's shame, guilt, emotionally, or literally. Like you're going to jail or relationships crumble. Right. Or, there is know. a consequence. Right. Um, and so there's, those are the two aspects within ultimate reconciliation that point to, this is the spiritual implication of hell that Jesus was talking about. And so then you take that and you put it up against the theme. What is the theme of the entire Bible? What is God trying to point towards? Mm -hmm. And if you go through and you see that redemption is always on God's mind. Redemption is always what he wants and desires, and redemption is what you need, even though people suffer along the way. Yeah. His ultimate goal is redemption. For him to completely switch his characteristic of who he is at the end of life and say, ah, you didn't make it. There's no redemption here. <laughs> this is not upward. <laughs> this, is, this is you are not getting the most Christ-like star. 
This yeah. is, I think, I think it just fits. To, and this is going to be controversial probably, but I think it fits perfectly with what the Bible is trying to point, point mm-hmm. us towards. And I get there's verses. I'm not going to deny there's verses that that are hard to kind of say. Uh, yeah, I mean, I see where you get there, but for me. One verse is not going to contradict the whole theme of the Bible. So that was something that I heard on a podcast recently. Um, a theologian was talking, and he said, no doctrine is bulletproof mm-hmm. because doctrine is just man's attempt. I mean, he didn't say all this, but doctrine is man's attempt to make sense of a concept that you see in Scripture that may or may not be outlined perfectly. And then even once you kind of grasp it, you pick anything, baptism, right, the Trinity, you name it. There's going to be outlier passages that don't quite make sense. We don't fully understand them, or they don't immediately fit the general narrative of that doctrine perfectly. Right. But anyway, the statement that he made that I thought was valuable is, kind of the rule of thumb is, if the consensus seems to say this, and there's a couple outlier passages that, that we're unsure about. He said the rule of thumb is then we just kind of say with an open hand, gracefully, we believe that this is the correct doctrine. We believe this is what Scripture says, and we will continue to try to understand what these other passages mean. Mm. And so I think what I'm hearing you say is once I looked at the entirety of it, right, as we just discussed, you believe that as a whole, Scripture meets this redemption model. Let's right. call it redemption model. And that even though there are some outlier passages that don't immediately fall into that, or may even seem to say the complete opposite, right? that you feel like that's the outlier and not the norm. That Right. And, and so, so you want to follow what you believe is the stand, the That's 100%, <clears throat> and I'm so glad you said that. I don't know if you've heard this or you read this. The book that I read, one chapter is called Jesus is the Norm. And his whole thing is like... I did not intentionally say that. Okay. Well, his whole aspect of that is you look at Scripture because everybody will tell you, well, the Bible's about Jesus. It's all about Mm -hmm. Jesus. It's about the leading up. It's about... And he's like, if the Bible's all about Jesus, we look to certain passages and can completely leave him out of it. Well, how would... You know, what was... What is... If you you take Jesus as a norm and you see what Jesus did, you see what he taught, love your enemies, love God, love your neighbors... And then you have this whole passage that contradicts that. But because it's a passage, you'll just go with that. He said, you know, and it's perfect. It's like Jesus is the norm. If it contradicts that passage, you are misunderstanding this passage or this passage is an outlier some way, some show, some form. Like ne- there's never a time where Jesus is the outlier. You should never outlier Jesus. Jesus should not So be. saying all scripture is equal in in value. But the truth is, like, if it's the words of Jesus, we need to say that yeah. if there has to be a baseline to measure this off of. Right. Jesus is the baseline. Jesus is the norm. Jesus He's, is your lens <clears throat> to see scripture through. Gotcha. And so, uh, and so when you do that, and you see these things like love your enemy, love your neighbor, and then you get to the end of life, and it's like, yeah, you're going to hell. You're going to burn, or you're going to not exist anymore. My love has ended for you, and you are no longer a part of that. That doesn't fit. Like, Jesus, that never fits who he was. Mm-hmm. It was an overwhelming, and we talk about it all the time. It's just like everlasting love and grace and mercy and, and all this and justice. Mm-hmm. And so my next kind of like process in this is like, okay, I have somewhat of a biblical argument for this that I think is is pretty good that I can get on board with. Okay. 
and it, you know we talked we mentioned earlier in the podcast about um we we mentioned earlier about the views of scripture some people stop there we have this view there's different views and we stop because of scripture but like the anglican model which is what nt Wright uses and things like that you then implement reason experience tradition to help inform that view to see if anything changes mm-hmm. reason tells me when i get into you know this what is justice and so that's why when i look at what is justice i think we're limited on understanding that because if i look at somebody and it doesn't even have to buy usually i use the example of a 19 year old saudi arabian muslim who never knew anything about christ dies mm-hmm. most people will say he's going to hell that's not just. He never had an opportunity. He never had. And some people will say, well, he's judged differently. You can make that case for anybody in the world. Traumas make us make decisions differently. Experiences, relationships alter the way we make decisions. You know, that's like what, you find that to be a, a weaker rationalization. Right. A hundred percent. Then we don't understand justice. Then we don't understand justice. Yeah. Okay. We just, I'm with you. Yeah. Like you just, you can't sit here and say, they're going to hell and then put yourself in the same genetic makeup as them with the same family, the same upbringing and say, oh, you would definitely choose Jesus. Right. We can't we can't judge somebody else based on what we know. And right. Believe just because we were born here. Mm-hmm. Well, then well then salvation becomes chance. You're lucky enough to be born somewhere where you can hear it or you're lucky enough to be born with parents that didn't have traumatizing experiences for you. Yeah. And so that's not just you don't you don't punish a 19 year old for eternity because of a situation that was out of his control. And so there's responsibility there. At least it doesn't feel just. It doesn't feel just. Like, if it is just, then we're going to have to die and talk to God, and it's, and he's going to have to explain it. Yeah. And most people will say, you're not God. Or m- maybe there's things, we don't understand God's view of justice. I've heard that multiple times when I've said mm-hmm. that. And I, <clears throat> my response is, that's crap. <laughs> that's crap? That's crap. You can't tell me, like, you can't tell me your lack of understanding of who God is is going to cause you to burn or not exist eternally, but we can't question it because we're not going to understand who God is like that. That just contradicts his whole, like if he's going to have this much weight into understanding who he is, mm-hmm. he's going to communicate who he is. Otherwise it's not fair. Mm-hmm. And so to say, oh, you're not God or you don't understand, if if attorney's on the line, it makes sense. We will understand the things that God wants us to understand when we're at risk here. If not, he's setting us up. Right. It's a setup. Exactly. It's 100% a setup. And so I think our lack of understanding, we all know the love aspect. I think people see God's justice Mm -hmm. as Old Testament. Where it's like, and I'm not contradicting who God is in the Old Testament, but if you look at themes and messages more than you look at individual scripture, yeah, then you see that the theme was you making unrighteous decisions brings a lot of consequences here and now. Everybody here and now, because the Old Testament did not believe in an afterlife. Mm-hmm. That Sheol Hades is all talking about the graves, and I think we we mentioned that. But and so my understanding of of justice started to inform these other two. So this and this ECT and annihilation, my understanding of justice 
my biblical standing on what ultimate reconciliation is started to push me more into ultimate reconciliation being my true view to mm-hmm. what this is about. Mm-hmm. And so, well, then I hit, and this is this, I think one of these, this is one of the most important things that kind of hit me. Okay. Well then what in the world is Jesus talking about? Like what, what is he talking about when he says the kingdom of God is near the gospel is being preached. You go and you, you know, what the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. Um, and so if you say that now, most people think kingdom of God is the people who believe in, in Jesus as Lord and Savior who go to church. Mm-hmm. We are building the kingdom of God by converting people to believe in Christ. That is not at all what happened in the Gospels. Because if you read the Gospels, Jesus' whole mission was the kingdom of God looks politically and literally different than what is going on right now. Which is why in Matthew 25, when it talks about eternal life and righteousness, he goes through this whole stint about how you should treat people. Mm -hmm. And so this is one of the things I got out of that book that I was reading. He said the entire Bible is about how dominion systems have ruled earth you ha- and god's people god's prophets god's chosen ones are leading those who are oppressed out from that moses the prophets jesus paul john and revelation all are leading people out from under a greedy powerful political system of government people just trying to take advantage of other people mm-hmm. And so if you go and you, and this is, this is challenging anybody. If you go and just read, just read through and have that mindset when you're reading through. If I could have a dollar for every time you told me to read through Luke with this mindset, <laughs> I've tried, I've tried. Um, but I mean, Luke is framed perfect. His ministry starts. The first thing he says is a passage out of Isaiah talking about going and seeing the poor, the imprisoned, the sick, mm-hmm. the lame. And so we spiritualize that really quick because of our thought, because we're reading into hell. Okay. Oh, well, spiritually, they're lame. Spir- no, he is literally so, trying to free these. So we have spiritualized, as, what you're saying is we have spiritualized the kingdom of God to represent the church globally. Yes. Right? Yes. All believers. For what he was saying. But you're saying what Jesus was referencing when he says the kingdom is God is here, or bring the kingdom to earth, whatever, is what? Is... Continue the pattern of the prophets. Continue continue, the pattern of of continue to bring people out of oppression that sin is causing. Yes. And and lead them into a life of freedom in me. In you. In the way he lives. Because the spiritual And that goes back to the I am the way, the truth, and the life. Yes. 100%. So... He is, and so it was a here and near, here, here and now, now challenge, challenge. In the exact same way, it was a that looking at threatening Gehenna was a here and now threat. Yes, that saying if you continue to submit to this poison, this is the consequence. Rescue people from the poison, this is the reward. Exactly. It was a here and now thing, but it also, from what I, if tell me if I'm wrong was foresight spiritually. It did have an eternal It component. had a spiritual implication, yes. So that it was for here and now. Right. This is the pattern of behavior I want you to follow. Right. But it's also this eternal pattern of rescuing the damned. Yes. 
the oppressed, the sinful, the the whole the whole aspect. Like we are redemption. It is all throughout. Redemption mm-hmm. is the thing. And so the the value of being a believer on earth now is we are the uh, scripture hands and feet of Christ to usher redemption into this life. Yes. And I guess God is the those hands and feet in that after this life he is he will usher into redemption those who are perished. Yeah, new heaven, new earth. Okay. Heaven on earth. And so this was this was when I thought because I I went on a whole like social gospel thing. Mm-hmm. That was way before this. And then I thought I was like, "Oh my gosh." Like it has a social gospel aspect to it. Social gospel meaning we need to be actively working to usher people from oppression yes. to freedom in Christ. Right. In this world. In this world. What, whatever that Social looks like. Social justice, oppression, mm-hmm. starving kids, things like I that. I think you shoot yourself in the foot when you say social justice, though. Because you're, I know what you mean when you say that. But when you say it, too, I think that concept has been perverted Maybe. to a degree in Maybe. society. And so, anyway. Social you, justice is in the sense of, like, racism. Mm-hmm. You know, sinful oppression that sinful oppression hurts people. Yes, that hurts people. It would be poverty, right? Um, government oppression, right? Whatever. War, and you can see sin. it. And it's not as I mean, it's definitely prevalent in America, obviously. But you really see that aspect of it in overseas. And the reason I say it, I think it's been perverted is I I don't disagree with you. Like as the hands and feet of Christ, we should seek to usher people from being enslaved. Yeah to whatever enslaves what would be sin society to freedom in god so the the direction always god yes but i feel like sometimes um the way that that's perverted is freedom from people that tell you what to do yeah and it makes you the your own god and we yeah. should remove oppression from you being able to live whatever you want right and that's not what you're saying you're not no. saying you should be your own god you should, no, no 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 i should move you towards the god right who can bring you freedom now and later. And God is wanting to set you free of whatever you're being oppressed of. Ten four. And so, um, and so that is his, and you go and you read it, just read it. You know, anybody who disagrees, go and read it because mm-hmm. it's all over. That's why Jesus mentions money so much. That's why Jesus mentions, um, going in and to these cities and saying the kingdom of God is near because he is mm-hmm. preaching in areas that are rural. And then he goes to Jerusalem and he dies. People think like, oh my gosh, like big cities kill. Yeah, they're powerful. Yeah. Why would he want? Why would Rome or not Rome? Why would Jerusalem want this prophet that they looked at as a time leading all of these people? I mean, you got to think five thousand people that he has already recruited technically to lead this mission because that means for Jerusalem and the elites and most of the elites were religious, which is the Pharisees, which is why he was so. Because they represented God, quote unquote, but partake in this dominion system. Okay. They would not heal the poor unless they had money. They would not treat people well. And so um, and so they killed him. So they killed Jesus. They didn't kill Jesus because they thought he was uh, the literal son of God who was ushering in a family, per se. And so... He's ushering in a kingdom. The word kingdom then was very, very, very political. Otherwise, he'd say, I'm starting a family. They wouldn't have cared. So what um, you're saying is they saw him as a political threat. Right. That's why they killed him. 
because he was a political. Well, yeah, well, that's comedy. That's comedy yeah, accepted, which is, right? Yeah, that's yeah, the that's, whole like you know, he comes in on the the fold and they lay down the branches. Like they yeah. all thought he was bringing in an earthly kingdom. Like, right. That is. Yeah. They thought he was yeah. ushering in this earthly. I'm kingdom. with you. And so they killed him mm-hmm. because. But that's where it ties together. It, right. it both had physical meaning and, and eternal spiritual. meaning yeah. because it's like they killed him for an eternal sense, but they thought it was the physical sense. Yes. And so um, and so that's that's the kind of mission. And, and it gets so much more yeah. in-depth into that. I'm not going to go into that. But if you just read into it, it makes so much sense. Like so it's, It fits so do well. Do you have any other major points to prove? Two points and I'm done. And okay. then I'll, whatever questions you got. Heaven on earth. If that is the mission of Christ, is to uh, unoppress everybody and humble the powerful, heaven on earth, then why in the world would heaven look differently eternally at, on the afterlife than it, than what he's trying to usher in now? Meaning what? He didn't come out and say, you Pharisees, I'm going to burn you eternally in hell. He said, repent. And so if he's trying to usher in heaven on earth, He's not going to change what he says. He said, you didn't repent. My grace is sufficient, but you didn't repent. Mm-hmm. And so he's never out. Like, he never says, you're not going to enter the kingdom of God, ever. He just says, if you do not repent, you will not enter. And so then that gets into what, this is the last point, and then I'll let you go. Whatever you got to do, as far as questions was. What got me was understanding that sin at its core, equals selfishness. And I think we've talked about this on, mm-hmm. on the podcast before. Christ equals selflessness. To me, people may disagree. ECT and annihilationism is fueled by a selfish decision to save yourself, in a way. Whereas ultimate reconciliation... Or the selfish decision to save somebody you love. Or yourself. Yeah, right. Yourself yeah. and others. Yeah, and, and others, yeah. Whereas ultimate reconciliation completely takes that away because if everybody goes. So then the sacrifice of being a Christian actually becomes greater than what it is with these two views. Because then it's telling you, you literally need to do something now. We're not asking you to go and convince a bunch of people to believe in Christ mm-hmm. only for the sake of saving them from hell. Mm-hmm. We are telling you to to do th- This is what your life it looks like. It immediately gets rid of that ticket to heaven tactic right and so that because, fuels so much of evangelism because if you if and, and we and like i said we've talked about this before but anytime i mention ultimate reconciliation the first question is what is this for what am i doing this for mm-hmm. and that immediately lets you know there's a selfish aspect to making a decision about being in christ whether we realize it or not mm-hmm. i mean it has to be i mean you know if if you don't believe in jesus you go to hell you're thinking about yourself mm-hmm. and so i don't believe if that is what God intended, why would he make it such a selfish act to do it mm-hmm. instead of a selfless act? Because if you live out what ultimate reconciliation points to, it's pretty selfless in all of its aspects. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's and, and, and Scripture does say that. It's, it's right. let me lay down my life for yours. Right. Lay down whatever I'm trying to build here and now. Greater, what, greater love had no man than this to lay down his life for his friend. Right. And that means literally life means I'm going to help you here and now, whatever it means, whatever it takes. So the sacrifice becomes greater. And so that 
putting all that and that, you know, obviously it's a year and a half. I might've missed some stuff, but collectively mm-hmm. all of these things shifted you shifted me fully onto ultimate reconciliation. And I think it's hard because if you, if for ECT and annihilation, and I'm, I can't wait to hear annihilation. I'm in the sense of like, it's going to be good. It's going to be a good conversation. Okay. Because it's just, I can't get there anymore. And we can talk about all those implications. Like, I don't even no. know what to do at church anymore. Well, that's good because apparently you believe God's grace goes beyond the grave. So hopefully he'll redeem you. One yeah. Day. I mean, apparently, <laughs> you know, so I, and so that's where I'm at. And, and people will say, but the Bible says every time it doesn't matter about any of these mm-hmm. other points. And that's where it gets hard. It's like you point out a passage that could contradict a thing, but you don't care because it's a passage mm-hmm. because there's a, there's not necessarily truth that you're looking for more than it is because it's scary. People it's scary. You look for evidence to shut your thoughts down. Yeah. It's a scary thought to completely come yeah. off of everything you've ever known about heaven and hell mm-hmm. and the Christian life. Like it's a scary, like there's a point of doubt within that. I'm not going to lie. There's a point of doubt within that. Like there's am I getting point. it wrong? Yeah. Like if, is this even real? Mm-hmm. Is this even like, what up? And so when you dive into that, there are scary moments and doubtful moments. Some people don't want to go through that. And that's okay. I mean, that's fine. But I think you're missing out on a lot more mm-hmm. when you when you don't do that. Now, if you do all that and you come and you say, This is this is the view I have, this is what I feel, and we talk and you know, it's just a agree to disagree thing, then that's fine. But at least give yourself enough Give yourself the chance. The chance to to experience what's going on. And not deconvert. You can say deconstruction if you want to, but never deconvert because there is and I think a lot of people deconvert because they they just one thing go, comes crumbling and they just leave. Mm-hmm. And that, that you know that's not that's not what you need to do. But anyway, that's that's another topic. Or I, I heard on Jimmy's podcast re- recently he said instead of deconstruction, he called it reconstruction. Reconstruction, yes. Which I think is a good. I'm not leaving the faith. I'm refining the faith. Yeah, and it's a development. Like yep. it's, I didn't read that book and was instantly changed. Now I have that tendency, and you know this, and you joke <laughs> about that. Yeah, but it, this is a long. Just to prove it. Yeah, uh, but this is a long process of just asking questions, asking, and Marty's mm-hmm. got the brunt of it. But asking and Sarah, asking questions, asking questions, continue. Like this is a a year and a half, like I said, mm-hmm. process of me landing firmly on ultimate reconciliation. Yeah. I'm not expecting anybody to text us and say. You're 100 percent right. I'm I'm gone. Like, cause this it's there's a there's a lot to go. I mean, if you do, that's great. But it's a process. I mean, I think is. if people at least walk away with that's more thought provoking than I thought, and I'm not going to call Josh a false prophet yet. Right. That would be a win. Yeah. yeah. If just those two things happen, I yeah. think in especially in the area in which we live, yeah. we call that a victory. Yeah. I mean, and, and it would be hard. To say, like, in my mind, if somebody said that and heard all of that, it's like, do you even, like, yeah. have any evidence? Or are you just saying that because it's what you're told to say, in my mind? But questions, comments, Here's, concerns. And and I know that we went a little long on today's podcast, but that was right. intentional. We did yeah. not want to try to constrain it because we wanted to make sure we articulated this complicated topic as thoroughly as we need to. And so if you turn it off before now, then you're not hearing me say this. Yeah. It turns a long I time. I apologize. So. That's right. Training is a long time. You can have an hour and 15 minutes. Yeah. I don't have any questions. Okay. I think you did a great job of laying out at least the conversations we've had. Yeah. 
that explain kind of your thought process? Again, if I was a theologian and knew this stuff inside and out, maybe I could mm. ask some questions, but I think you laid it out pretty well. Uh, one of the things that I, to, I, I don't know, give the stance a little bit of kudos from my perspective, some of the stuff that caught me that was like, oh, I've never put those pieces together that you kind of have highlighted in my own research of highlighted that allows me to be like, you know what? I can respect this thought process, even though I'm not there yet. Mm. Um, and I'm not saying there yet as if I'm trying to get there. It's just mm. sitting this here today, the I'm not there. Yeah. Is when you start looking at that redemption pattern, I find that redemption power to be kind of, that's, that's a compelling in that. You, right. And so the question I had is, <laughs> We are in a redemption story. Mm-hmm. The question is, and I'm not. This is a rhetorical right. question: is who's being redeemed? Mm-hmm. Is it God or humanity? Mm-hmm. Right, and so because that could alter how you view how. To, what is ultimate redemption? Is it all people being redeemed, or is it God's name being redeemed because of what happened in Genesis? So, who's being redeemed in this redemption story? But throughout Scripture, there is patterns of redemption stories that tends to follow the people. Mm-hmm. Read all of Judges, read all of that stuff, read the wilderness time, and it always ends in God's provision in helium. And the other thing that I find interesting that you didn't mention was I've always I thought this was interesting for a while. In Genesis, after the flood, God literally recalibrates his view of humanity. Mm-hmm. He oh, says yeah. point. He says, I have recon- basically I recognize y'all can't cut it. Yeah. Therefore, I'm going to quit holding you to such high expectations, right? Marty translation. Right. And I remember reading that. We studied Genesis at church recently. I remember reading that and thinking, after wiping off the face of the earth and saying, we need a redo because humanity sucks, I'm now going to acknowledge that humanity sucks and quit holding them to the same expectations because I have seen that they are not capable of what I'm demanding. And so the thing that always gave me mental constipation was how can God say I am going to quit I'm going to acknowledge you for who you are and your limitations unless we're talking about eternity and then we're still going to stick it to it that you have to make the right decision yeah that has always bothered me which here's the thing no matter what view you have there's going to be things that seem true of God that give you a headache Mm-hmm. this side of heaven when we get clarity. Mm-hmm. And so like, even if I'm like, all right, switch my view and fix that verse, there'll mm-hmm. be another one. Yeah. But that's just one that always kind of stood out to me that I think reinforces the redemption view of humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's like you literally recalibrated your view of humanity, except for the one decision that matters the absolute most. Mm-hmm. And so that always bothered me. Then there's also the verse, you know, through one man sin entered the world, through one man salvation comes to humanity, to all people. Right. Right. There is a, kind of that both and of through one comes all and through the other comes all, you know, and um, and different approaches would, you know, define that differently. And we can talk about this next week, but some of my my roadblocks come with some of the specific passages, mm-hmm. right? It is what is being said there? Sometimes I do think you have to do a little bit more gymnastics mm-hmm. to reconcile some of those sticking point passages more so than some of the other approaches. Yeah. However, after studying it, I have come to respect it more and not even because the first time I heard about it, 
I immediately chalked it up to a completely preposterous view Mm -hmm. that had virtually no credibility. That they saw that one verse through one man, sin enters the world, and through one man, salvation comes to all men. And in that one passage, they were creating an entire doctrine. And, And that was earlier, at the beginning of this show, I challenged us not to assume the best of our views and the worst of others, and that's what I was doing, is I immediately limited the evidence and magnified the criticism, but having to try to challenge myself to open mind, I realized there's actually a lot of themes, a lot of contextual ideas um, that actually lead me to respect it more, even if I can't get on board with it. And so, anyway, so great job. I appreciate it. So, Anyway, well, we got to wrap up. We are out of time. Next week will be part two, part two. where I'm going to unpack the annihilationist view yeah. and probably won't do it the same justice that you've done to ultimate reconciliation, but we'll try to lay out what that view is, how scripture supports it to just give you a, just something else to chew on. Yeah. So anyway, all right, guys, we hope you enjoyed it. I know this is a little bit deeper of a dive, a little more vulnerable of a conversation, yeah. um, but yeah. we it's been on our hearts and minds for a while now and so we got hope you guys enjoyed it and uh josh took one for the team by being first today yeah uh don't run me off the road um (laughs) but in all honesty reach out to us let us know your thoughts like i love these conversations like i just had one not long ago josh's address they're uh they're they're good i love them because it challenges you regardless it challenges you to, to think about what you're doing in life right and making sure you're not missing out on something so Absolutely. reach out, large23 on sweet wheat at yahoo.com or one of our cell phone numbers if you personally know us and let us know how you felt. Mm-hmm. Let us know if there's like, eh, eh, or if you have questions about views, sure. then maybe we can do a part three and answer all of the questions. Oh, I don't boy. know. All right, guys. Until next time, y'all behave yourselves. Holla. Thanks for joining us on another episode of TNJ. Don't forget to check out the links to any of our guests in the show description. And check out tattoosandjesus.org for additional show information or to submit your questions, comments, or curse words.